This is Unfilter, episode 356 for March 31st, 2021. Wow. Stunning, uh, groundbreaking, really narrative-changing uh, conversation that Sanjay Gupta had with Robert Redfield for a couple of really important reasons. One is, as you mentioned, he was he's not any schmo, Joe Schmo scientist. He was the head of the CDC, a lifelong virologist, in a position to know all this information. And he's making two very shocking allegations. One is that the virus started in September or October, according to his opinion, which implies that the Chinese government hid it for several months. Uh, and two, that he believes not just based on, you know, supposition, but based on the way that the virus emerged and his professional analysis of the way it acted, that it was too strong and too uh, advanced to have come from nature. Uh, and he's referring to the gain of function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Hello, friend, and welcome into the People's History Podcast. It's being officially recorded in my own lab this week. My name is Chris, and I've noticed a few trends I'd like to talk to you about. Come on in, sit down. We gotta talk about something. You know, the stories during the Trump era, they lasted for just a short period of time. It really took a a real doozle to like last one <laughs> doozle. It took a it took a real whopper to last more than 48 hours. You know, you you get multiple controversies in a single week under Trump. And often by the next week's episode of Unfilter, we'd be on a totally new set of topics. And so sometimes I'd like have to ramp up the release. Like I do multiple episodes in a week to try to cover as much of it as I could. But, it, you know, you just don't get depth because they would just move on from one thing to the next, almost like a like they were traumatized themselves and they were just jumping around, not understanding how to respond to the things that Donald Trump was saying and doing. And so the news media would just sort of lurch around. But now that that's passed, what we have now are these topics and 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 events that are stretching out across multiple episodes and we're getting new information on a week-by-week -week basis, like we didn't really have happen much under Trump. And, well, I, I guess that's a good thing, you know, but I was looking at the show, and I realized for just a hot minute, I, you know, because I, I monitor all the clips coming in, and then I was looking at what we covered, and, you know, we didn't talk about, we didn't talk about COVID last week. I know, I know, you, you thought we did, but no. And, I, you know, you could have brought it up. I would have listened, but you didn't say anything, and I didn't bring it up. It was just sort of, I don't know, it wasn't passe. It's just it wasn't really the big thing. There was the border stuff happening. There's all these other little, little. I don't want to call them little. I shouldn't say that. But there, there were just other stories that were getting covered. It wasn't like COVID had gone away, but it just didn't really create much news volume looking at my clip feed. But we have a major update this week. Uh, I've got this uh, WHO report here. I'm just going to get rid of that. And uh, let's start with the vaccine and some numbers, and then we'll get into the lab origin hypothesis. A new CDC study finds the vaccines work. Researchers followed healthcare workers and found the vaccines were 90% effective at preventing both symptomatic and asymptomatic disease. The study also suggests the vaccines slow the spread of the virus. But despite all the people getting vaccines, the U.S. averaging more than 60,000 cases every day, hospitalizations up more than 10 percent across 17 states in the last week, and the number of deaths is rising, too. This 
this uh, story about the vaccine working well is like it's funny because it's it's it feels like research that would have been done before a vaccine ever went out into the market had the conditions been different. And it's also interesting that the media is covering it. And uh, NBC covered this. CNN covered this as well. And this is ABC here. Um, it's interesting that they're covering it just because it's not peer reviewed. It's not like a traditional research piece of work where it gets peer reviewed and then it gets published like in a journal and then the media picks it up. Instead, it's press releases from Pfizer about their own study. And then the media seems to just run with whatever their press department puts out. CDC director warning of another surge. I lose the script and I'm going to reflect on the recurring feeling I have of impending doom. We have so much to look forward to, so much promise and potential of where we are, and so much reason for hope. But right now, I'm scared. Walensky points to a dangerous mix of restriction rollbacks, fast-spreading variants, and air travel now nearing pre-pandemic levels. The president calling on states to reinstate mask mandates. Sadly, some of the reckless behavior we've seen on television over the past few weeks means that more new cases are to come in the weeks ahead. I think what he's talking about, what they've seen on TV, is spring break uh, that was uh, going on. And, you know, I'd love – God, there's so many things I'd love to have better data and, and real true science around. But number one with a bullet besides – so it's really number two with a bullet, I guess, if that's the saying. I don't know. Uh, but definitely up there with the whole where the hell did this thing come from question would be how come it doesn't seem to spread at all outside? That we really, looking back at all of the BLM riots of the summer, the Capital Six riot, and just all of Trump's rallies, we had one or two stories, uh, especially out of Arizona, but that's not actually necessarily, I mean, who knows there, right? You had all those rallies, you had all these outdoor events for the election. And you don't really see any one of these being represented as a super spreader event from what I can recall. I might be wrong there, but from what I can recall, I don't remember any of these outdoor events really being linked to a massive spread. And you got to wonder why that is. It seems like outside is exponentially safer than being inside with stagnant air. And of course, one could assume it's because of moving air and UV light. But we don't really truly know. We have some initial data that shows it's safer outside, but we haven't really seemed to taken that to heart like we have things like double masking. Like double masking comes out, we're all over that. Science comes out that says you're probably okay outside and you just have to stay three feet apart. We don't really pay attention to it. It's it's just I don't quite understand. So I'd love to see more discussion, more data there. But I want to move on because there was one of the biggest shifts I have witnessed in this entire pandemic this last weekend. I don't know what happened, but I think it all started with 60 minutes of all places. I mean, I'm sure all of this was in work and progress ahead of time. I, I, I appreciate and understand that these productions have lead times. But as far as it chronologically hit the public, it seems to have kicked off with 60 minutes. Everything changed. And all of a sudden, we were just openly questioning the WHO and the origins of the COVID-19 virus. It was agreed first that China would have veto power over, over who even got to be on the mission. Secondly... And WHO agreed to that. WHO agreed to that. On top of that, the WHO agreed that in most instances, China would do the primary investigation 
and then just share its findings no. with these international experts. So these international experts weren't allowed to do their own primary investigation. Wait, you're saying that China did the investigation and showed the results to the committee and that was it? Pretty much Whoa. that was it. Not entirely, but pretty much that was it. Imagine if we had asked the Soviet Union to do a co-investigation of Chernobyl. It doesn't really make sense. What's what's what doesn't make sense to me is is how this extremely well-paid news anchor didn't know that, but some idiot podcaster in Seattle knew that. I, 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 that's shocking to her, and it wasn't necessarily. I shouldn't paint a picture like it was everyone turned on a dime. It, it wasn't necessarily universal. It was close to universal. The different networks started talking about this, but there was one holdout. ABC said no. No, we're going in, all in, on the WHO's bogus report on COVID-19's origins. And next, a report on the origins of COVID-19 in Wuhan, China, is due out tomorrow, reportedly concluding that the virus most likely spread directly from bats to another animal and then to humans. The 100-plus page report from the World Health Organization and China also finding that it was, quote, extremely unlikely the virus escaped from a Wuhan lab. China's delay in allowing outside experts in has cast a shadow over the investigation. But critics say the WHO team only made brief visits to the Wuhan Institute of Virology and never received all the information. Now this is NBC News. They requested from Chinese officials. Just last week, a former CDC director saying... I still think the most likely uh, etiology of this pathogen in Wuhan was a, from a laboratory, um, you know, escaped... So all of this happens, right? You have NBC going all in. You have CNN going all in. In fact, here's the, I'll play the extended version of that clip that they were playing. This is the full cut that CNN released on their interview with, uh, with Redford, this former CDC director. So Dr. Robert Redfield, the former Field. CDC director, is speaking out for the first time. And also, I got a Redfield, by the way. Sorry about that. I got a... I got a um, I got to point something out to you guys. The only thing that has changed is that they are taking a former Trump admin seriously. What he is saying hasn't changed. He has been consistent. They are just now listening to him. Saying publicly where he believes the coronavirus that caused the pandemic came from. These extraordinary comments come in a new interview for a CNN documentary airing this weekend. Dr. Sanjay Gupta joins us now. And Sanjay, Dr. Redfield says he's giving his opinion, but I have to say, I think you're about to break some pretty significant news here. Yeah, I mean, this was this was extraordinary, John, for, for certain. He, he is the former CDC director. He has spent his entire career as a virologist. I interviewed all six of these doctors sort of in the form of an autopsy, really to sort of meticulously dissect exactly what had happened here. Uh, really no, no pre-agenda. It's interesting that he actually comes all the way out and says that. Normally, they wouldn't tack on. There was no agenda to this. Ha <laughs> ha, hey, in the morning. But they really want to make it implicitly clear to the listener, or I'm sorry, the viewer, that this wasn't a planned interview. A virologist. I interviewed all six of these doctors sort of in the form of an autopsy. Really I'm not going in there to, to try to snus, snus out any QAnon. To sort of meticulously dissect exactly what had happened here. Uh, really no, no pre-agenda. Uh, Dr. Redfield, when we sat down to talk, uh, he wanted to start at the beginning, uh, the origins of this virus, what he believed actually transpired. Take a listen. 
If I was to guess, this virus started transmitting somewhere in September, October in Wuhan. September, October. That's my own view. It's an only opinion. I'm allowed to have opinions now. You know, I am of the point of view that I still think the most likely uh, etiology of this pathogen in Wuhan was a, from a laboratory, um, you know, escaped. Uh, other people don't believe that. That's fine. Science will eventually figure it out. It's not unusual for respiratory pathogens that are being worked on in a laboratory to infect the laboratory worker. This is why I think this is a kind of a reasonable hypothesis. Number one, there's a virology research lab in Wuhan. Number two, it's not uncommon for people working in that field to get infected. And then number three, they were doing a particular type of work that would lend itself to a virus like the coronavirus that would get out and be fully adapted to humans, which they're going to touch on here. It is also not unusual for that type of research to be occurring in Wuhan. The city is a widely known center for viral studies in China, including the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which has experimented extensively with bat coronaviruses. It is a remarkable conversation I, I feel like we're having here because you are the former CDC director and you were the director at the time this was all happening. For the first time, the former CDC director is stating publicly that he believes this pandemic started months earlier than we knew and that it originated not at a wet market, but inside a lab in China. These are two significant things to say, Dr. Redfield. That's not implying any intentionality, you know. It's my opinion, right? But I am a virologist. I have spent my life in virology. I do not believe this somehow came from a bat to a human. And at that moment in time, the virus that came to the human became one of the most infectious viruses that we know in humanity for human-to-human -human transmission. Normally, when a pathogen goes from a zoonotic to a human, it takes a while for it to figure out how to become more and more efficient in human-to-human -human transmission. I just don't think this makes biological sense. So in the lab, do you think that that process of becoming more efficient was happening? Is that what you were suggesting? Yeah, let's just say I have coronavirus that I'm working on. Most of us in the lab, we're trying to grow a virus. We try to help make it grow better and better and better and better and better and better so we can do experiments and figure out about it. I, that's, that's the way I put it together. A gain-of-function type research was happening there. And so this isn't necessarily new to anyone listening to the show that's been listening for a while. But what is kind of remarkable about this is that it's CNN. It's, it's, it's Dr. Sanjay Gupta, right? It's, it's approachable by people that are polarized on this issue because of Trump. And that is what makes this kind of a landmark broadcast. The 60 Minutes combined with NBC, combined with CNN, is a huge shift. And it makes it okay for the anti-Trump left to talk about this. That is a remarkable step forward to actually figuring out where this horrible virus came from. But what's what's incredible is how the CNN staff doubled down on this interview and remark at his credibility. I've never heard the media talk about a Trump official like they're about to. This man is officially the most respected Trump official that I've ever seen on the media. Uh, you, they, they, they are lavishing him with praise. It's a pretty, uh, pretty extraordinary conversation uh, and a little glimpse of, of what we revealed sort of within these couple of hours. I should, I should point out the World Health Organization calls the lab leak theory unlikely. 
And Chinese officials have started uh, increasingly pointing to a multiple origin theory, saying that this, this pandemic may have started in multiple places, even around the world, including U.S. military <coughs> labs. Gupta being a good boy there for the Chinese. That's unsubstantiated, but that's, that's sort of the back and forth that's happening right now. We still don't know a year later exactly how this, this pandemic started. Sanjay, he's the former CDC director. So when he says it's just his opinion, it's not just, right. just an opinion. The former CDC director sees things and knows things that the rest a of us don't long see. A expertise. Or no. Well, but not only is life's long area of expertise, but actually when he was in the U.S. government seeing things that the rest of us aren't entitled to. I mean, how much of just an opinion can it be? It almost infuriates me to hear this. You know that? Like right now, there is a deep anger brewing inside my belly just hearing this. Because when you say these things, you say, well, it, it, this is obvious. He's, he's, of course he knows what he's talking about. He's the CDC director. He's got a, a lifetime of experience. They'll just brush you off. No, no, he's, he's, a, he's a Trump loyalist. He's a Trump henchman. He just does what Trump tells him to do. But when they want to, they can just flip it around at any time. So they're not really playing by any set of rules. It's just however they feel like characterizing somebody, whatever it tells them in the prompter, I assume. But it makes me so angry because this this standard that they're applying right now was never applied to anyone that was in the government for the last four years. Oh, he's the CDC director. He must, it's, it's incredible. The only person that got respect in the government was Fauci, the only man. It for, Burks for a little while, but they eventually came after her. Oh, no. A year later, exactly how this this pandemic started. Sanjay, he's the former CDC director. So when he says it's just his opinion. So why didn't it matter when Mike Pompeo said it? Uh, oof. Oh, gets me, gets me, gets me. Oh, gets me upset. And none of this is really new, right? None of the actual information here. But it, there's an interesting insight to this. It suggests, at least it's a data point that suggests, that there isn't a counter-narrative inside the U.S. government. It suggests that there isn't something that we don't know that they know, right? That there, It suggests that this looks likely to them and they haven't heard a better suggestion. Another data point we have for that being the case is that all the stuff that Pompeo dropped on his way out the door. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo says there's, quote, enormous evidence the COVID-19 pandemic originated in a lab in Wuhan, echoing remarks made last week by President Trump. Speaking to ABC's This Week on Sunday. Now, obviously, this is a little bit ago. This was, you know, when they were transitioning out. Pompeo said it's not the first time that the world has been exposed to viruses as a result of failures in a Chinese lab, adding that China has had its history of running substantial Labs. Now, despite being highly critical of China's handling of the matter, Pompeo declined to comment on whether he believes the virus was released intentionally. You have to wonder if there isn't something that's been delaying this. You know, Fauci was asked about this, and I saw Zufi, you were talking about that in the Discord right now, because we're doing this live on a Wednesday. And I was not satisfied with Fauci's answer. Okay, so when you think about the possibilities of how this virus appeared in the human population, obviously there are a number of theories. The issue that would have someone think it's possible to have escaped from a lab would mean that it essentially entered the outside human population already well adapted to humans, suggesting that it was adapted in the lab. However, 
The alternative explanation, which most public health individuals go by, is that this virus was actually circulating in China, likely in Wuhan, for a month or more before they were clinically recognized at the end of December of 2019. If that were the case, the virus clearly could have adapted itself to a greater efficiency of transmissibility. Now, here's here's why I'm uh, I'm not I'm going to play some more of this, but I want to don't want to go too much longer. This this doesn't satisfy for a couple of reasons. If you look at the WHO's report, they have a graphic that they've released and on there they have a series of different possible origins for COVID-19. And on there it's a scale from least likely where they have the lab to most likely where they have animal transmission. The issue there is when you look at what they think happened, it's it's a very convoluted process that has a lot of assumptions and theories. And they don't actually have evidence. They don't have the original animals. They don't have that evidence. They may never be able to find it. It may be long gone. And it kind of also makes this assumption that the virus in very low infection amounts at this point in time is just sort of bouncing around the population of Wuhan and and sort of like at mutant paces, it's adapting. And it's somehow fumbling around from animals to humans at this incredible pace within this one to three month time. And the other reason I don't like it is it kind of gives cover for what looks like perhaps this thing was at least around in October. Well, this kind of plays into that. Oh, yeah, it was around in October. And that's when it was evolving to adapt to humans. Bullshit. It started infecting people in October. That's what there's evidence of. And so I don't like this for those. Well, fairly kind of hard to answer reasons, I think. And here's the ultimate kicker. The universal truth is generally when you look at some complicated conspiracy and you just look at simple incompetence, it's almost always simple incompetence. The simplest thing, the stupidest thing is generally what it is. And they have this crazy ass conspiracy theory of these different animals and this random amount of unknown time where it was bouncing around, evolving at an incredible pace that it hasn't really seemed to demonstrate since then. Versus the lab that works on these bat COVID viruses and gain of function research right there in Wuhan. That is such a much simpler, simpler, easier to understand and doesn't necessarily make it right, make it right. But I think it makes it worth considering. And then when Fauci has these answers and the WHO has these charts that are crazy convoluted, connecting all the possibilities versus it, the one step it came from the lab. It doesn't seem very credible, not on the face. And they're not doing a good job answering the questions. I do want to let Fauci answer. So I'm going to back up so you have the context and play a little bit more and we'll continue. They were clinically recognized at the end of December of 2019. If that were the case, the virus clearly could have adapted itself to a greater efficiency of transmissibility over that period of time up to and at the time it was recognized. So Dr. Redfield was mentioning that he was giving an opinion as to a possibility. But again, there are other alternatives, others that most people hold by. Just not happy with that. And I I think what I have seen is an interesting shift in Fauci since he became a, a Biden team member. And it 
is starting to look like maybe there maybe the other thing that starts to sound reasonable is perhaps Fauci and the Obama administration do have some sort of tie to this research lab. I invite you to go research th- that yourself because I haven't done I've only done a little bit of reading about it, but I'm wondering this just it doesn't pass the sniff test. The whole thing seems like that answer that answer that a lot of people a lot of people don't think that's uh, you know that, that don't think the origin story is legitimate. Well, that's that's actually in direct violation of what the chief of the WHO is now saying. So this is the tricky part that Fauci now finds himself in, is the WH, even the WHO themselves, the ones who commissioned this original crap report that everybody is kind of shitting on now, the leader of the WHO doesn't like the results of the study and thinks that they should look into the origin from the lab. The World Health Organization's chief said a mission to study the origins of the coronavirus in China did not adequately analyze the possibility of a lab leak before it concluded that the pathogen probably spread from bats to humans from another animal. Director General Tedros Ghebreyesus said he's ready to deploy additional missions involving specialist experts as he doesn't believe the assessment was extensive enough. The World Health Organization chief was criticized by Trump administration officials for being too deferential to China in the early days of the pandemic. Why even put the Trump thing in there? But I, I figured leave it in there so you could still see they're still they're still they're still getting a dig in at Trump. But that is isn't that something? The frickin' chief of the WHO doesn't even like the report that Fauci is saying backs up people who don't who don't um, who don't think the uh, the the what do I want to say? Fauci was essentially implying that the report shows that uh, most scientists think it was the, the bad origin. But what, but really, really, when you look at that report, people people don't think it stands up. And now even the head of the WHO is admitting it. I, I don't know how that happened. I don't know who pressured him. But it's funny because it has a ripple effect because ABC was the one media network to hold the line. ABC was the one saying, no, nah, no, nah, the report says this. It looks legit. Now they've gone on the air and they're retracting that. When's the last time you've seen that happen? Stephanie, we reported on that report from the World Health Organization and China last night here. It's now out officially tonight on the origins of the virus, pointing to the likely transmission from bats eventually to humans. Uh, But there's also been sharp criticism of this new report. There has, David. The director general of the World Health Organization saying scientists had a hard time getting access to that raw data. The U.S. joining 13 other countries and expressing, quote, shared concern about that report, saying researchers significantly delayed and lacked access to original data. The White House saying China is not being transparent and because they did not provide that data, it is not cooperation. Tonight, the World Health Organization already questioning a joint coronavirus report. Now, this is NBC News. Just kind of combining them together. By its own team and China. And its conclusion that it was extremely unlikely COVID escaped from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The WHO's Director General saying that assessment was not extensive enough, saying he may deploy a new mission to further investigate China's labs. The WHO facing mounting criticism of the report, which had to be approved by China. China must be quite pleased with the result of this written report uh, stating that the lab origin hypothesis is extremely unlikely. The State Department, in a joint statement with 13 other countries, expressing concerns over China blocking access to complete original data. 
in spite of this terrible pandemic that's killed so many millions and disrupted billions, the Chinese government from the very beginning has been destroying samples, hiding records, imprisoning journalists. I think that's uh, just a fascinating change of reporting. And uh, it's hit the White House, the White House, uh, Jen Pulaski, Pulaski. I keep thinking of, I keep getting screwed up with that Star Trek doctor. Did Biden believe that the millions of Americans who lost loved ones to COVID-19 deserve a better response than one that they've gotten from the WHO? In terms of uh, looking into origins for COVID-19. Well, I think he believes that the American people, the global community, uh, the medical experts, the doctors, all of the people who have been working to save lives, the families who have lost loved ones, all deserve greater transparency. Man, she is a pro. She grates on me because she never really gives that answer, and you can tell she's been prepared. But at the same time, she's prepared, right? Like, she is a pro. They deserve better information. Uh, They deserve uh, steps that are taken by the global community to provide that. So there was an extensive statement put out um, by a number of countries, including the U.S., but let me highlight, when we're still reviewing uh, the report, but let me highlight some of the concerns that have come up to date. Um, The report lacks crucial data, information, and access. It represents a partial and incomplete picture. This represents the official position of the White House. Uh, There was a joint statement, as I noted, that was put out. We also welcome a similar statement from the EU and EU members, sending a clear message the global community shares these concerns. There are steps from here that we believe should be taken. There's a second stage in this process uh, that we believe should be led by international international and independent experts. Uh, they should have uh, unfettered access to data. Come on, man. I, I worry the Biden administration is going to slow this down with all of this bureaucratic process. Um, I don't I don't believe them when they say they have a, a strong desire to get to the bottom of it. The U.S. joins these countries in expressing shared concerns. But the yeah. statement, quite frankly, is pretty uh, bureaucratic and um, perhaps does not meet the moment of the seriousness of the crisis here in this country in terms of the death toll. So what is the White House's actual reaction to this report from the WHO? Was it uh, simply inadequate? Well, the report uh, is still being reviewed uh, by, (laughs) you know, it's only the most important thing facing our nation right now. We just didn't get time to read the thing. Our team of experts, 17 experts are reviewing it. Jeez, what a waste of money. You know the headline of it and it's not sufficient. We agree. And we have long said, as I just stated, it lacks crucial data, information. It lacks access. It lacks transparency. It certainly we don't believe that in our review to date that it meets the moment. It meets the impact that this pandemic has had on the global community. Now, I'm going to say this. Uh, This report could have come out and they all could have just ran with it. And I'm grateful it didn't. I am. I'm angry that this conversation hasn't happened sooner. I'm I am very angry, really, when I think about it and when I think about the cost that could have actually had. Uh, But. At the same time, I am grateful that when this report came out, the news media and the White House didn't just lop it up and and echo it. Um, It's weird now because it seems like maybe some of the shit that was said about the WHO is true. They have some serious division when their their own leader is calling into question their own report. I mean, how crazy is that? And 
I, I, I don't I don't buy Jen. I think when she says it's not going to be bureaucratic because they care and they got 17 highly paid people reading a report that's a couple hundred pages long, I am concerned. And Joe Biden himself is not necessarily inspiring confidence. I I cut down some of this for you, but you get a sense like you. this is not just a nation, but an entire world watching this man trying to get a sense of what he's going to do as a fourth wave is supposedly impending. The progress we've made on vaccinating this country is a great American story. The federal government has stepped up, taken responsibility, and launched a massive federal vaccination program. The war against COVID-19 is far from won. This is deadly serious. We share the sentiment of Dr. Walensky, the head of the Center for Disease Control and, and Prevention. The CDC expressed earlier today this is not a time to lessen our efforts. That's what she said. Right now, I'm scared. If we let our guard down now, we could see a virus getting worse, not better. You know, as many people as we vaccinated, we still have more Americans left to go. You know, we will administer more shots in March than any country on Earth. But even so, we have to give more shots in April than we did in March. Because we're in the life and death race with the virus that is spreading quickly, with cases rising again, new variants are spreading, and sadly, some of the reckless behavior we've seen on television over the past few weeks means that more new cases are to come in the weeks ahead. With vaccines, there's hope, which is, uh, which is a very good thing to state the obvious. But people are, le are, are, are letting up on precautions which is a very bad thing. Look, to this point, cases have fallen two-thirds since I took office. Deaths have also fallen two-thirds. It's interesting to hear him kind of, you know, this is a bit of a Trump thing here, but all politicians are going to do it. And uh, he very much wants the numbers down on his watch, not up. But now cases are going back up. Now, some states, deaths are as well. You know, we're giving up hard-fought, hard-won gains. And as much as we're doing, America, it's time to do even more. And with the supply, we're releasing this week, just this week alone, there are more, doors, there are more doses of vaccine available for seniors this week than any week thus far. So seniors, please, if you've not gotten your shot yet, get it this week. Get it. Second, I'm reiterating my call for every governor, mayor, and local leader to maintain and reinstate the mask mandate. Please, precisely what got us in this mess in the first place. Risk more cases and more deaths. Deaths. Mask up. Okay, Mask. I lost that. Yeah, I just, I had to cut it there. I mean, it goes on for a little bit longer, but I just, I, I can't, I can't, you guys. It's so hard to follow. He's so slow. Um, and of course he had his first big press conference too, and he had this really cool jumbo cheat card. I'm sure you guys have all seen it now. They, the pictures were out just almost right after the press conference. This thing was really slick. It had the reporters on there with their picture and their name in one box and then like a brief description of what they wanted to say and then like numbers on it. And he had, the, it was really cool. Covering Ronald Reagan for six years, I never saw that. Uh, watching a lot of news conferences over the years, I've never seen that. A president in a news conference reading talking points. 
Yeah, it was great. Uh, he knew exactly what they were going to say. Of course, he still kind of had a hard time with it. It was a little stumbly. Now I'll be happy to uh, take your questions. Well, I'm good. Look, when uh, to uh, it is to uh, just. Uh, I think you get the idea. It goes on and on. <sighs> it was. Uh, it was hard, actually, to watch. And it was hard to watch all the different news media who likes to take a crack at the U.S. for having Joe Biden as our president. Well, Rita, tell us about uh, Australians. Joe Biden. What's he been up to in hyperbole? Well, he finally had his first press conference, which is exciting. You know, he's only been president for two months. They just think the whole thing is hilarious and love to take a shot at us. Uh, but there was a question that came up during the press conference that I thought was worth capturing for you guys. It was it was pretty pretty crap actually i got it was it's one of the most it was one of the worst ever it was crap and uh, hardly hardly any questions that mattered but one that that caught my interest was a question about the wind down of troops in afghanistan i wanted to ask you about afghanistan you face a may 1st deadline for the withdrawal of u.s troops from that country as a candidate in foreign affairs you wrote that it is past time to end these forever wars. Can you commit to the American people that by May 2nd, the U.S. will no longer have forces in Afghanistan? The answer is that it's going to be hard to meet the May 1 deadline. Just in terms of tactical reasons, it's hard to get those troops out. So what we've been doing, what I've been doing, and what Secretary Blinken has been doing has been we've been meeting with our allies, those other nations that have NATO allies who have troops in Afghanistan as well. And uh, and if we leave, we're going to do so in a safe and orderly way. If uh, we're in consultation, I said, with our allies and partners and how to proceed. And Secretary Blinken is meeting in Brussels this week with our NATO allies, uh, particularly those who have forces there. I think you get it. Because we cannot get reelect. We cannot win this reelection. Excuse me. We can only reelect Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, all right. That's, you know, uh, that's that's enough. That's enough to make fun of Biden. Let's make fun of uh, Republicans a little bit. Boy, are they uh, making a show out of the uh, border. Really, Ted Cruz going all in this week. GOP senators releasing shocking new images from our southern border. Senator Ted Cruz saying, quote, these are the pictures the Biden administration doesn't want the American people to see. They show cramped and overcrowded conditions at a child migrant facility in Donna, Texas. The group of 17 senators demanding President Biden take action to solve the problem. Now, this is just a horrible situation. And I just man, I hate this because. It, it's it's a story that involves humans, and we, as watching as as viewers, have a hard time really kind of connecting with their situation. Um, but it is truly horrible. What's if you think about yourself in that situation, it would be awful. Now something has to be done, but it doesn't feel like that's actually the goal of Ted Cruz. What Ted Cruz wants to do is milk a situation. So it's past midnight. I'm standing on the shore of the Rio Grande. The water is right behind me. He's actually standing outside, surrounded by bush. He's got, like, an outdoorsy outfit on. He's wearing 
a uh, like a, a a khaki colored shirt, a button up shirt, and a vest. You know, he's got his outdoor outfit on, his hiking outfit. He's got his boots on, and uh, he's out there in the wild. I'm down the Texas border, along with 18 senators. We made the trip to see the crisis that is playing out. We've already gone to detention facilities that are overrun. Many of them with families, small children. We saw multiple mothers who were nursing infant babies who had just crossed over and were being housed in outdoor holding pens where they were sleeping on the floor and nursing their babies. You know, the problem with Ted Cruz is he's got the most insincere face in politics. There was a moment, though, that got him probably the most attention, and that was when he went inside the facility and tried to take pictures. Please give dignity to the people. Please give dignity to the people. So you work for the commissioner, your senior advisor. You were hired two weeks ago. And she's uh, she's getting really close to the camera, and she's trying to completely block taking any pictures. You're instructed to ask us to not have any pictures taken here. Please respect the people. Because the, the political rules. leadership at DHS does not want the American people to know it. Please respect the rules, You keep sir. standing in, in front of the pictures, Please so you don't want the, the pictures rules. taken. This is fascinating power dynamic, right? Because this gal has been hired by the brass two weeks ago to handle media and to prevent pictures being taken. And now a United States senator is in there taking pictures, but she's still been instructed to get in his face. That is a remarkable line that she's willing to go up to. So you work for the commissioner, your senior advisor. You were hired two weeks ago, and you're instructed to ask us to not have any pictures taken here. Please respect the people. Because the, the political rules. leadership at DHS does not want the American people to know it. Please respect the rules. You keep sir. standing in, in front of the pictures, Please so you don't want the, the pictures rules. taken. The rules are arbitrary, Please and they're designed the to keep the American the people, people in the dignity dark. and respect. And of course, uh, the Republicans made as much hay out of this as possible. There was a whole bunch of them down there. Um, and I, I don't know if this political stunt could actually get some resolution, get some pressure to resolve this. I'd like to see it. So far, what we've seen is the White House is very tact, tactfully, tact, strategically is what I'm going for, has strategically avoided going to the border. Uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're, they want to avoid going to the border, but they're going to go to core causes of the border issue because they don't want that photo op. They just are trying to be extremely savvy about their image. And they're also at the same time walking back what Biden said last week in that press event where he said that Kamala was going to be in charge of the border crisis. They don't really like that. So they got to walk back what Joe said a bit. And now Cam is in charge of not the border crisis itself, but she's totally going to like look into like root causes and stuff. Update on whether the vice president plans to travel to Central America or to the border as part of um, her looking into the root causes of the immigration problem. Now, you notice there that the press person used the right language. That language was already messaged to her ahead of time. Update on whether the vice president plans to travel to Central America or to the border as part of um, her looking into the root causes of the immigration problem. I don't have an update on her travel, but since you give me the opportunity, it's important to understand and know that she is focused on addressing root causes in the region. And so travel, I would expect, would be there, uh, the border and, uh, and, and expediting processing at the border, opening shelters, ensuring we're moving kids out of border patrol facilities. That is really under the purview of the Department of Homeland Security. Now, listen. Um, I mean, you can play it's their responsibility, not our responsibility all day long. But if you are actually in charge of solving something, there's 
no doubt that actually going there and talking to the people who are running the facilities would be extremely enlightening. It's just how it works. And she has access to easy travel. It's not like you and me where we got to like book a hotel and afford a car and we got to figure out if we're going to park down there or take an Uber and get a hotel room, right? <laughs> She's covered. She could be down there tomorrow if she wanted to be. And she absolutely would get valuable information. Inequivocal, I think. I think it's absolutely the fact. They won't do it because of the imagery of it. So even though in some way, even if it's in a very small way, in some meaningful small way, they could improve a crisis, they won't do it because of the imagery of that. That's how concerned they are with the Biden-Harris administration's public image would be there, uh, the border and, uh, and, and expediting processing at the border, opening shelters, ensuring we're moving kids out of border patrol facilities. That is really under the purview of the Department of Homeland Security and HHS. And they will all work together, but uh, the vice president's focus is on the region, root causes, and engaging with governments directly. So if she were to travel, it'd be to Central America or something like that? That would be my expectation. But yeah, but we don't know. We don't really have anything planned because uh, right now we're just hoping we can wait this one out. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, let's take a moment and uh, say uh, thanks for everyone who supports the show at patreon.com slash unfilter. This here is a listener supported production, I think, for pretty obvious reasons. I mean, maybe I could sell. Um, I don't know. What would you sell on a podcast like this? I don't know. You see, it's just there's not like it doesn't really click. Vitamin D supplements? <laughs> go get your vitamins. <laughs> no, let's not go down that route. Let's 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 make a deal right now. We're never gonna do that. But I need your support to make that possible. Patreon.com slash unfilter. I have to be frank with you, we've got to figure out a way to make this show sustainable. And listener support is that path. And I think in the future I'll open up other avenues as things make sense. But right now, to keep this show going. It needs people to go to patreon.com slash unfilter. Well, I think it's time we uh, do a high note. Mommy needs a joint. And there is big news for my friends in New York. Breaking news, recreational marijuana is now legal in New York. Governor Cuomo just signed a bill passed by state lawmakers overnight. So what does this mean for anyone looking to partake? Here's Eyewitness News reporter Derek Waller. Partake. And here's what this legislation means. New Yorkers will soon be able to possess marijuana legally in public. You can also grow it at home, but at least for now, you will still have a hard time finding a place to purchase it legally. It creates a brand new industry, raking in hundreds of millions in tax dollars and eliminating an issue many saw as an injustice toward black and Latino New Yorkers. We have consistently fought for economic, social and criminal justice for all New Yorkers. Our plan for adult use marijuana legalization takes an intelligent, compassionate, 
approach to this issue and further defines New York State as a progressive leader that we are. But it could be a year or more before retail dispensaries pop up as the state creates a brand new regulatory agency. Cannabis will be taxed at 13%, creating a potential windfall of new revenue. But the state PTA and some police remain opposed. Cops worried about people getting high and driving a car. They say the law does not offer a clear way to detect impairment and make an arrest. You know, so if we're only doing this for revenue, that's really a poor reason to put people's lives in danger. Statistic after statistic, fact after fact shows that in states that have legalized recreational marijuana, children are harmed, motorists are harmed, the public is harmed. Overnight, Attorney General Letitia James came out in favor, saying it's a racial and criminal justice imperative. For too long, people of color have been disproportionately impacted by an outdated and short-sighted marijuana prohibition. And it's past time we right this wrong. Mayor de Blasio praised the legislation late this morning. Still want to make sure that the voices of localities are heard and respected in this process, but this is a hugely important moment for the state of New York. And Governor Cuomo said this law establishes substantial safeguards for the public, but already some communities are pushing back. That law actually allows local governments to decide if they want those dispensaries in their communities. And right now, at least two Long Island mayors say they will not be allowing it. It seems like an awkward phase right now because it's going to be legal to smoke and consume, but they don't have any way to sell it. Uh, but they'll figure it out. It'll put pressure to actually get a way to uh, get it you know, legal, sold legally. But uh, there's a, an angle to this that the media loves these days, and I'm all about it because I think this is a fantastic narrative for the cannabis industry. This is about 10 pounds of super lemon haze. It really slaps fire product testing at about 28% THC. A combination of high-end cannabis knowledge and hijinks is what you'll find at this female-focused adult-use cannabis dispensary. Being a woman in the cannabis space is exhilarating. Caroline Pino was pregnant when she and her mostly female staff opened STEM in suburban Boston during the pandemic. We wanted to design a space that was like you were talking to your mom or your grandma or your sister over the kitchen table about cannabis. The rapidly expanding cannabis industry is becoming more and more female focused, adding 77,000 new jobs in 2020. The majority were women. Just another day in the neighborhood. This is a chance for women to fast track their career. A new report from cannabis staffing firm Banks finds women grew last year from 39 percent to 42 percent of the industry. Also, nearly half of workers have been in cannabis a year or less. That means unlike many other industries where women face barriers to advancement, Vank says there is no grass ceiling in cannabis. They can work in the business for a couple years and be considered somebody with a lot of experience in cannabis. Trella Technologies develops devices for indoor cannabis farming. I looked at it and I said the best place to be is on the cultivation side. Founder Aja Atwood went from an engineer to an entrepreneur in cannabis tech. Because it's such a new industry, there's a lot of problems that need to be solved that have yet to be fixed. And women, love, you know, we like to solve problems. We're really good at solving problems. Yeah, that's right. They are breaking the grass ceiling. That's right. That's right. Todd Banner in the Discord nailed that one. Yeah, I noticed that also she said it really slaps. Like, what the? what is she talking about? And then last but not least, it's slightly obnoxious, but yet still noteworthy that bragging about cannabis industry growth is now totally acceptable on regular old television. Okay, so Darren, you are doing comp store sales. I, I don't. Sometimes I think it's a, a, a typo. Fifty-eight percent. 
58% for the quarter, Jim, 63% for the year, coming off a 37% last year. Well, I mean, what are you selling that can possibly do that much more business year over year? Jim, we're selling the picks and the shovels, the technology and solutions for the cannabis growers. What you're seeing right now, Jim, is a sea change, controlled environmental ag. We sell the inputs. We sell the technologies, the solutions that control the environment the plants live in. Well, Energy efficiencies, well, okay, sustainability. Well, what are we going to do in New York? I mean, you know, we're, we're about to get passage, but you don't have any stores in New York that can be bought by you. So are we going to see your first Greenfield stores? Because I got a feeling people are going to be lined up wherever you have it. They will just be jammed. I mean, you have, <laughs> Listen to him. You have to have your own shopping mall. <laughs> Oh, uh, people are going to be so excited. Boy, you guys could use it over there, too. Let me tell you, I visited. I think they'd make that place a little better. There has been some amazing frantic reactions, the Save the Children reactions, and they cite bogus studies that I've actually debunked on the show in the past, in the previous run of the show, to, to as reasons why they shouldn't have legalized in New York. So the good old arguments are there, but in New York, the frantic what about the children argument is sharp. They, got, they are on their game. Uh, so go sniff around on YouTube for that. But look, I'm not done yet. The overtime's coming up, and uh, if you're wondering what my take is on Matt Gates or the two new scandals that Hunter Biden finds himself in, that'll be in the overtime, as well as the O'Nancy segment, and a bunch of other goodies that just didn't quite make it into this here episode. That'll be at unfiltered.tube if you're listening to the podcast version. And if you're watching live, just uh, stand by, because uh, after a brief intermission going to be overtime time and i do love the overtime it's a good outlet for me it lets me keep this show focused and sharp and still give me an outlet for the things that i i still kind of want to talk about but like they're not really fitting you know it's like it would make the show way too long and just full of extra crap kind of like i'm doing right now overtime makes that better you see see what i did there unfiltered.show slash 356 for the links to everything I talked about today. The, uh, the subscribe is there, the contact page, all of it's right there. Thanks for joining me. See you next week. 